welcome back to the Here Now Body Pod. Here, we explore journeys of healing from everyday people who learn how to find peace in their bodies, here and now. We learn about chronic pain, chronic illness, physical therapy, pelvic health, and other health and wellness tidbits. Today, we talk with Zari. Zari Cooper is an occupational therapist and certified lymphedema therapist from Florida. She comes from a biracial family with her mom, Afro-Caribbean born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, and her dad, who's Caucasian American. She is passionate about bringing racial injustice and racism in the workplace to light, and about advocating for the life of her black husband, a physical therapist, and her future family. I spoke with Zari this summer after seeing her and her husband talk on a panel of physical therapists and occupational therapists about the topic of chronic black pain. Without further ado, meet Zari. Hello. Hello. How are you? It worked. It worked. Well, Zari, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So excited and honored to be a part of it. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. So could you please begin by telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what you've been up to lately? Sure. So my name is Zari Cooper, and I am an occupational therapist in Gainesville, Florida, and I'm also a certified lymphedema therapist. And which means I help people who have um, acute or chronic swelling due to um, comorbidities such as heart disease, um, kidney problems, or due to having mastectomy and having lymph node removal or dissection or radiation and having swelling in your arms or lymph node removal or dissection in your groin and having um, lower extremity um, swelling. So I am specialized in that and, um, I'm very passionate about it and I'm grateful to be able to do both in the setting where I work at, which is a skilled nursing facility. And, um, because of all what's going on with COVID, I, I'm not seeing any outpatients right now, but I also see outpatients. So not only do I see normal long-term residents, I see inpatient rehab, and then I also see outpatients. So I kind of see a little bit of everything. Yeah. Wow. I didn't and, realize that um, lymphedema was also for heart failure. I always right. thought it was well, mastectomy related. Right. So a lot of, if you don't have any type of surgical procedures done that like, such as um, having, you know, a mastectomy or having your lymph nodes removed, and if you just are just chronic, normal age-related problems, most which tend to be heart problems and kidney problems, lymph, the lymphatic system is the garbage disposal of our body, and um, all the waste goes to our kidneys where we pee it out, and then the kidneys filter the waste um, into water, which then gets brought up back to your heart. So when you have any heart problems, your body isn't able to take the water that your kidney is making. And um, there's a backup, which is when you start to see lower extremity swelling due to either a sedentary lifestyle where you're not moving around as much, 
or due to like venous insufficiency, there's occupations that tend to stand more like, um, or sit a lot like truck drivers. They tend to have a lot of lymphedema or people who stand a lot. Um, so, and then kidney problems, because if everything gets sent to the kidney, so if you're having kidney problems, you, you have a backup of fluid and then you retention, you have fluid retention. So, um, those are the two instances where, um, it has nothing to do with mastectomies and your lymph nodes being dissected from either your head or your neck from like jaw or facial cancer, um, or breast cancer. It could be just simply due to your lifestyle and just unfortunate luck of having heart or kidney problems. Whew. Yeah. Systemic <laughs> problems. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, we're here today to talk about different systemic problems. Um, I first yeah. heard you speak at a webinar since we're all into webinars in this COVID era called mm-hmm. chronic black pain. What does the term chronic black pain mean to you? So I am a biracial um, woman. My mom is Afro-Caribbean, born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago. And my dad is Caucasian American. And so I look like many different types of um, ethnicities. I maybe look Hispanic to some people, but I'm half black. Um, I have a lighter skin color than than some people who are mixed. It's really like a jack in a box when you're mixed, mm-hmm. when your parents are like white and black, like you just really don't know how you're going to turn out. And my siblings, we all kind of look different and we have the same mom and dad. And so growing up with like chronic, like going off to the topic of chronic black pain, like I have always just kind of like just been I guess, misidentified or people assume and what's going on with the black community. My husband is, is, is African-American and he has dreads on the top of his hair. His sides are shaved. He's also a physical therapist and he looks, and he's a strong, athletic, tall black man. And just looking at him, he wasn't in his business casual attire for work. And like you wouldn't know that he would be a therapist or anything like that. Not like there's a look to us, but that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And we get put in a box and people have these stereotypes that they expect people to fill. And when people don't meet those, their certain people's expectations, um, that's where you kind of start seeing um, discrepancies and um, prejudices that people have about what a black person should be, which they should sound like, what they should look like, um, and kind of what their job is too. Like being, you know, we're, you wouldn't think we would be a therapist. You may think we could be not like there's anything wrong with, with not with being any of these professions, but we may be a CNA or we may be janitorial staff or we may be dietary we could be anything but when they see a black person as the person that they're coming to as an expert you know you definitely turn heads and you know they're like are you my therapist and like yes I will be your therapist today so the pain that black people are feeling right now is obviously chronic because there's been systemic racism in the world but specifically our country for over 400 years and I think that 
it's just obviously now being more publicized and well-known in the last 10 years because of, um, you know, modern day technology and people being able to record things and easily share information. And this is not a problem that's been going on just for the last couple months, you know, because of George Floyd, rest in peace. This has been something that's been going on before Trayvon Martin and before Martin Luther King. It's something that's been a problem for a long time. And we're at the point now where we're just saying like enough is absolutely enough and we will be heard. We want to be heard and we need to change or else some like we're like something we have to stop dying <laughs> like we have to stop not even dying we have to stop being murdered and we have to stop being treated like we are second class citizens in the country that we helped build and incurring such trauma right because not only it doesn't have to do with just being killed it has to just with people's behavior towards you the mm-hmm. way how they look at you um you know, everyday interactions that they may not even physically touch you, but still affects you. And it's, it's chronic and it's constant and it's there. And we just need to talk about it and just make aware of, of, of what we see. And when you see something, just simply acknowledge it and speak on it and talk about it because that's the only way how people are going to, to start realizing what's going on is by not having a blind eye to it anymore. Mm -hmm. I think that's why the term chronic black pain intrigued me so much is because chronic pain and chronic pain patterns in general have this way of just kind of sneaking into your life and you come to accept Mm -hmm. your pain as normal when really that's not the way you need to be living. Someone told you it is or what. So I, I think that's been the most um, eye-opening thing for me is like, obviously the murdering of people by the police is wrong, but Mm -hmm. there's, or, and there's also this wrongness that just happens on a daily microaggression, chronic, small scale level that for me as a white person, really starting to educate myself on and listen to and hear about has been like, I mean, it makes me want to throw up even thinking mm-hmm. about living um, right. with that type of chronicity. So mm-hmm. how do you feel um, like chronic black pain? Or I'm really interested in the way that stories live in our bodies, like how mm-hmm. we tell ourselves or how other people tell ourselves that we are comes to like form our physical body. How do you feel mm-hmm. prejudice and this kind of like chronic black pain experience, if you will, lives in your body? Well, I have been, my body is really sensitive and in tune with my stress. And the, the past three months, I, I'm prone to migraines. Um, I've been getting them since I was in the sixth grade to the point where I would throw up from them. Ugh. And my body in the last three months, I'm already a small person. I'm five, six, usually hanging out around 127 pounds. I, I do, um, I work out six days a week. I do, um, high interval cross training and, um, 
So that's just trying to paint a picture for my body type is I don't have much weight to lose. I'm down like six pounds and I haven't changed so much as too much my diet, my exercise, but my body, like I get headaches. I've gotten a couple migraines, but the type of stress that I'm feeling now, like I, I have headaches every single day. It's to the point where, you know, some days when this, when this just started, like the way how my body is reacting to what's going on, like I may just randomly start crying, just thinking about what's going on. And my body just is so sensitive to it. And my body is, I'm dropping weight. I'm, I, I, my moods have been affected by it unexplainably Mm -hmm. to the point where I'm looking to talk to someone about it. I have an appointment next week and trying to figure out what types of natural things I can do to, to try to make a better environment for myself and how to react to my environment. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and, and my sleep has been the same. So like my, my body has been just, and, and, and chronic, anything's chronic technically after three months of having pain. That's the, I think the, the official time when something's acute, mm-hmm. when it's just a chronic. So I have, I'm officially chronic, like headaches every day, chronic, like my mood, like it's, it's moved to the point where it's, it's, my body is just, um, freaking out basically with, with what's going on. And I'm trying to listen to it, which is obviously what you should do and trying to figure out like what is going on to my body to feel like it needs to react this way and being in tune with your body is very important because your body gives out signals when it's in distress and making sure that we listen and respect those signals and we check them and we make sure that we we change it because our our bodies have these alarms that go off and if we don't listen to them it's only going to lead to a larger problem and that's what I'm trying to avoid right now. Yeah. Sounds like your nervous system's just overdriving, overdriving, overdriving. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you telling me the other week that there was this one day and you were like, I couldn't work out today because I knew it would be taking out bad things on my body. Could you comment on that? I feel like a lot of times people just like, like, I'm just going to go work this out. Right. Right. So Sometimes, like for me, the, the one thing that I do for myself as a, as a personal thing that I know I enjoy is working out. That's something that is usually, if I feel down and releases, it releases the endorphins that I need and I just feel better. But um, when all of this started going on at, you know, the end of May, I was, I was working out and my body just literally just couldn't keep moving I was like I started crying and I was like my body is just literally not into it and you just have to take days off like your body and that was my body telling me like stop trying to make me perform when I'm literally just trying to figure out how to keep us going right now like I don't need for you to worry about lifting a hundred and something pounds over your head and squatting with it like you need to just worry about eating sleeping drinking water like 
trying to take deep breaths, like natural necessities and, and nothing is wrong with that. And your body needs that. Like you can't just do the same thing, expecting different results. If you haven't been taking time for yourself and just slowing down, then you're not, your body is, is not going to respond the way that it needs to. So taking a step back and taking multiple rest days, it may not even be, be just one. You may need to take a whole week off, which I've done before too. You know, um, you just need to do it because especially I think as a therapist, like it's one thing if I just had a desk job and I'm, you know, don't have to do and ask so much of my body. But when I'm a therapist and I have to lift people, I have to cognitively explain something to them and, and make sure that I'm not doing any harm to them. My executive functioning skills have to still be on point. And if I deplete my body physically, my cognitive ability is not going to be where it needs to be. And that's when I start doing harm to others, which is something that as healthcare professionals, we vow not to do. Mm -hmm. So as a duty, as not only just wanting to keep my body safe, I need to respect my profession and my job and my patients and make sure that I keep my mind sound and listen to my body and just take a, take some time for myself. So I make sure that I can still perform mentally at a high level. Yeah. I'm so sorry. You've been having so many migraines and that headaches have become a daily thing. Oh yeah, me too. It's they're the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had chronic headaches for probably 10 years (laughs) with a chronic illness, which is part of why I started this podcast. So Mm -hmm. headaches are no, fun yeah yeah what lately has been helping oh well what I find helping is doing what I can which for me I my stress and headaches are coming from just the what's going on in the black community and experiences we've been have my husband and I have been having with our neighbors or with personal friendships or with experiences at work that we've been having to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so for me, just being able to talk about it, like I've been on the panel that you listened to a couple of weeks ago, speaking with you today, I have another panel with the university of Florida tomorrow and being able to just talk about the experiences that I've gone through and just being able to get it out of my own internal dialogue in my head, it's therapeutic for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just talking about it. And, and I have a very supportive husband who, you know, is willing to just talk to me and calm me down and try to distract me and try to keep my life balanced. And also, you know, realizing that, even though some of my friends may have disappointed me in their reaction to what's going on, there's other friendships that have blossomed from it and being able to talk to them and share information and just simply have someone say like, I may not understand what you're going through, but I'm sorry that you're going through this and just simply hug you. So for me, it's just been therapeutic talking to people and just doing what I can. I haven't gone to any protests or anything just for the fact of respecting my job and not wanting to 
um, be around so many people. Zari, you're I'm, a virtual protester. <laughs> I am definitely a virtual protester. I'm signing petitions. I'm um, doing everything that I feel like I can safely do to keep my patients safe, um, but also making sure that I feel like I'm doing what I can. Yeah. So beautiful, positive support systems, talking and taking Mm -hmm. action where you're able to sustainably take action in your life. Exactly. Respecting your body, your job, your situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Um, I was hoping you could share. So I'm about to go out on clinic for physical therapy And I will be in a situation where I have a clinical instructor and it's in a rural Mm -hmm. setting. And Mm -hmm. I imagine that there's going to be heightened conversations around race and COVID and politics as I go, because that's just what the times are. So you told me a story about an experience you had with a clinical instructor or a CI Mm -hmm. around race, around a Mm -hmm. patient that was getting treated. Mm -hmm. Could you share that story? Absolutely. So it was my second rotation. I was in the neuro ICU and I was at a major hospital for the Southeast part of the country. And it was my first day. Oh, it was? Yeah, it was my very first day and I was with my CI and she was doing a co-treat with um, a physical therapist and we go into a patient's room who the patient happened to be African-American and he had two members of his family there. I believe one may have been his brother and the other was his son. Definitely one was his son. And so as a student and being my first day, I'm literally just a fly on the wall listening to how they interact with patients, the questions they ask. This was an evaluation that they were doing and just seeing how they do it because my first rotation was I was in home health, which opposite, opposite, but I was also, I mean, that's another story, but I, I hadn't seen how it works in a hospital setting. So my um, CI was asking questions about, um, do you, how's your vision? Do you wear glasses? You know, things like that. And the patient responded to the question of, you know, do you wear glasses? And he's like, I do wear glasses. My daughter bought me a pair, but they're just Walmart glasses. And somehow she heard my daughter stole glasses versus my daughter bought glasses and which is a which is a weird thing to to hear but in your head you're thinking okay you're not going to say like your daughter stole glasses but my my ci she's like your daughter stole glasses why would why would she steal glasses and he's looking at his family and at me like what did, why would she even why would i admit that my daughter even stole glasses like and he's like, no, my, they're not prescription glasses. They're just normal store-bought, you know, glasses. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. But she had, she used, she spoke her thoughts out loud. Yeah. Versus thinking like, you know, oh, can you repeat that for me? Like, 
or like saying, are those prescription glasses or are those non-prescription glasses? Like she, the way how she worded it was just like insinuating that he stole glasses. And then the second thing was with the same patient is asking what his home life is like. He was able to help him when he goes home or if he needs to go to uh, inpatient rehab after he leaves the hospital. And he's like, I have, um, you know, 10 children. And in the African-American community, granted, this guy's also probably in his 70s or 80s. He's older. Um, it was not uncommon for not even black families, any family, to have a, 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 a certain amount of kids. It wasn't like today where you may just have one to three. People weren't using contraceptives as much. Um, people were more religious. If you're married, you know, there's no reason if, if, if you happen to have children, you have children. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that big of a deal for many people to have 10 children. But when he mentioned he had 10 kids, she's like, Oh my gosh, that must've been really hard to raise 10 children and to be able to support 10 children. And it's just like, and then me, I'm, this is after the whole eyeglass situation. And then I chimed in and said, it must be really nice to have such a large support system and be able to have so many people around you that care and love you. And he's like, it absolutely is. I love having my, my, my large mm. family, you know, but the fact that she took it as a negative is what is sad. Mm -hmm. And she just assumed that because he had so many kids, he couldn't afford them. And he must have struggled because he had so many children. And so his, his son looked at me and mouthed at me, like, what is she saying? Like, wow. Like, what is she doing? And me, mind you, again, this is my first day. I don't even know her. And I really can't say too much because I don't want to feel like I am interjecting on her the way how she does things. And um, the physical therapist was just going right along with it and making the same comments and basically agreeing with what she was saying. And so um, I just mouthed to the son, I'm sorry, you know, like mm -hmm. that, you know, I just said, I'm sorry. And that was the first time as a person in the healthcare field heard someone be kind of so blatant and it may not be as big of a deal to someone just thinking about like oh like well maybe she really did hear like she, he stole glasses or maybe he, she really does think it's weird that he has so many kids and maybe he really did have financial struggle raising them but that's not something that you would put your opinion on in a setting that you're just meeting someone for the first time and who knows if you would have those same questions or even have those same thoughts if it was someone else other than a black person or a minority. And it was a really, a really interesting eye opening experience for me. And I sat with that information for some time. And my first rotation, I was in home health in my uh, CI, she was from South Africa, but she was Caucasian. And she would have this heavy accent and she experienced things and, and, you know, she and I working together, it was, it was fun because, you know, she had an accent 
And when people saw her, they would expect that I would be the one that had the accent, but it was really her. So I called her after this instant asking her, you know, what, what do I do? How do I respond to this? Like, and told her what happened. She like, that was absolutely like inappropriate. What she, what she commented on, even if she had those thoughts, those are something that you should keep to yourself and not make someone feel badly about having 10 children or insinuating that their family members stole something, you know? And so I sat with that information again. And at the end of the week, she reviews my performance and then she asked me if she had any questions, if I had any questions for her. And I actually like commented like the very first day you, you made these comments and I, the, the family was looking at me for some type of rescue and help and I couldn't help them. And I thought that like your lens and what you've experienced are very much different from my lens and what I've experienced and you may not have known what your comment was being like culturally insensitive, but that's how it came off to me and for the family. And no one wants to hear culturally insensitive. Um, everyone takes pride in being able to be able to treat everyone equally. Um, not to say that she may have not given him great care, but the fact that she was even making those comments to him is not building trust. Mm-hmm with the patient and right away making him put up a wall because you're thinking that he's someone who isn't able to support his family and even thought that it was okay to have his children steal something for him. And, um, I was lucky enough to have a great field work coordinator at my school. And it went to as far as she contacting her boss over the weekend and the PT saying that she wasn't comfortable doing co-treats with me because she would have to watch what she would have to say, which is, I mean, I think that in our profession, you should always choose your words wisely and carefully, and you should always watch what you say. Mm-hmm. And the fact that someone now you're having to think about that is, is kind of an oxymoron because you should always try to be um, aware of, of what you're speaking about and to when you're treating patients. But anyways, my field work edu- um, coordinator was asking like, why did you choose those words? Like, did you think about what you said? And I said, I called people. I sat on it for multiple days and I chose my words because that's how I felt like she was. And, and, and I didn't. And so, she, so it turned out to be that I was perfectly fine. Our relationship after that was always kind of rocky, but I, I stood up for that family and told her how it came off to her at a later time because I thought it would be good for her to know that she may not have been aware of it, but this is how it came off to me and to the family. And, um, and that's just, unfortunately, that's just what I've witnessed. I'm sure there's many more instances that go on that people interact with different patients and they just may not even be aware of how they're, treating them or what they're insinuating, but it, it shuts them down and it automatically makes them not want to trust you mm-hmm. and you're not going to be able to get your point across because they automatically don't have weight to anything that you say because you don't respect them and in a way that they feel like they should be respected. So, yeah. Has, um, has she reached back out to you? She actually has me being on the panel 
um, the one I saw. Yeah, the chronic black pain. She reached out and said that she was proud of me for doing what I was doing. And on that panel, we never got to these questions about mm-hmm. when, as a student, have you ever experienced or heard of anything? And I would have very, I had, was planning on mentioning this, but we never got to this question. And um, so I told her, I'm glad that she listened to it. And she told me that our National Association for OT was doing another um, series of talks about um, disparities in the workplace with the African-American black community. And she told me that um, she was going to be listening to it and thought of me. And I was like, okay, fantastic. Wow. She has no, I don't know if she remembers what she did. I'm pretty sure she has to because she, she felt very strongly about what I said. And, um, but it makes me feel good that she is listening and she's going out of her way to speak to me, which we, we never, we never talk yeah. or she, she texted me and it made me feel good that she is trying to self-reflect and trying to learn and understand it, maybe a different point of view than her own, which is all you can hope for. I almost feel like I was thinking about this earlier today. Not that there's two types of racism, but like in I'm reading how to be an anti-racist because every book list in the world to white people right now says how to be an anti-racist. And he Uh breaks down um, people into three categories, anti-racists, segregationists, and assimilationists. Hmm. And I feel like they're are kind of these two prevalent forms that racism takes place in society right now, like in line with kind of his, like the segregationist, like I am blunt, I am racist, I know I am, here I am. But then there's that like sneaky assimilationist, like I'm not, I'm not, what? I am not racist. What I said? No way. That was offensive. I, that was not offensive. And it's that whole not not knowing how offensive you right. are as a white person and that almost feels more dangerous to me when people think they're in the right when right. they're so in the wrong and like I accuse myself of this like I'm sure like friends of color could call me out in situations over the last 30 years of my life that I have not been aware of but mm-hmm. I I think one of the calls of this time towards white people is like check those situations (laughs) like begin to reflect take a breath before you speak ask coworkers, how do you think I'm doing was there anything I could change at like so what do you think like towards coworkers who are white um, Mm -hmm. or even like past clinical instructors whatever like what is a question I could ask to like patients or friends or providers of color around me to check myself? Well, I think that for one, to not be so hard on yourself, like it is totally understanding to want to have to think about everything that you're doing. And it's awesome that you are, but knowing that like everyone myself included, we all have these tendencies that we are kind of not aware of that we do. Mm -hmm. And I think that being able to like, when you're 
trying to reflect and self-reflect, trying to not be so, what's the word I'm trying to find? Um, Basically, be gentle. Well, not only that, but it's like you want to, okay, I'm going to wait until my train of thought comes back and I'll speak to like what you can do to coworkers. Like if you have someone that you really trust at work that you can, that you can talk to and say, Hey, like I am trying to figure out if what I'm saying or how I interact is coming off a certain way. Mm -hmm. If you see me act or behave or do something that I like, please come up to me privately and just simply let me know because I am trying to be more aware of when I do certain things just so that I can go back and think, why did I react that way? Why did I say this? Mm -hmm. Why didn't I say this? Why didn't I stand up for this person? Like just simply being able to have someone that can observe you and kind of just say, Hey, like, you know, when you did this, it actually was nice that you, you didn't highlight one thing that they said and you kind of redirected and said it and, and, and kind of redirected away from it because sometimes, you know, a patient may open the door to say something and you may be able to comment on it, but it may not be appropriate to comment on it depending on your relationship with them. And so just knowing when it's appropriate and not appropriate um, and just having someone that you can press and talk to and ask like, Hey, I just did this. Like, how did you feel like my reaction was or how would you respond to this? Cause I'm not sure if I responded in the right way and just simply being able to, to, to have someone that you trust to, to bounce ideas or situations off of, you know, totally. Yeah. I, this is healing for me now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't think of what I was trying to say, but what you um, said was perfect also. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that people just need to, as long as you're, you're just simply trying, there's really nothing like the, the only thing we can ask is for everyone to just kind of self-reflect and understand how, maybe how you were raised and, and not to say that in an, and everyone, everyone's parents try to do their best, but they're taught from their parents and they may have not in times have changed. And unfortunately it's just an old way of thinking, but being able to form your own thoughts and ideas and be able to, to research and, and, and be able to form your own decision and, and opinion is, I think what's going to help change everything around and being able to honestly just talk and have conversations because you may ha- be having a difficult time with what's going on. And then you may be talking to a friend and you may not know that they're struggling with the same thing too, mm-hmm. but because you just simply started talking and asking them about it, you're being therapeutic with them also. And they're knowing that what I'm going through and my thoughts are not just mine. Other people are trying to self explore and understand and you can have a buddy system in it, you know? Yeah. Finding a buddy system at work, I feel like is this underrated aspect. Like you think you, I am under an impression at least because I'm just have like 
clinical instructors at this time, like go to right. work, go to work, be professional, but like one side right. advanced in my career, just having like actual accountability partners and buddies right. and good friends in right. the workplace who can, yeah. I mean, you spend most of your life at work. So if you're going to change anything, you're likely going to change it there. <laughs> right. Which is interesting, which is an interesting thought too. And, um, and that's why it's also important that when your job, if, if they understand the cost it takes to hire someone and to retain someone, they want to keep you like it's, mm-hmm. they, there's more cons and pros to trying to retain someone versus having to take the time to reeducate someone, how the system works and putting out job listings and everything like that. Like, they want people who do their job well and they want to retain them and being able to understand that when you hear, see, experience something at your job that you are uncomfortable with, it is important to speak up on it and it's important to talk to others about it. And because one, your boss, your supervisor or your coworkers may not know what you're seeing or experiencing and they, maybe not as much your coworkers, but your boss, especially if you are a, a great clinician, they want to make you feel comfortable at work. They want you to feel like you can come to them with the problem and they can, they can resolve it. They want to make you f- enjoy coming to work and being able to just simply tell them, I heard this, or I saw this, or I'm feeling this type of way. They if you don't tell someone how you're feeling or what you, or what you experience or what you see, no one can help you fix it. You have to be able to, to have those conversations. And with my boss, I'm really blessed to, to have a great, to have a great boss. And my boss's boss is fantastic. And during all this, I was able to go to them and tell them I'm having a tough time throughout this. Um, you know, what's been going on for the last three months, I've had coworkers that have, um, been really supportive and we've had private conversations during lunch or when we're by ourselves about um, problems that they're having with their parents trying to talk to them Mm -hmm. and about the conversations they're having at home and being able for me to give her some advice or to at least just hear her like I'm sorry that you have to go home and be and explain this to your parents you know Mm -hmm. and and just having someone at work that you can just simply talk to you and it'll happen. You'll realize once you're around certain people for a while who, who seems to be open to talking and sharing and, and, and then who, who is not and um, learning to distance yourselves and just have a professional relationship with those who, you know, you may not have the same views as, um, but still be professional and, and delivered, you know, client-centered therapy and be able to correlate and correspond with them about patient care. But then just know that's simply it. Like to not dive in deep, to not be around that person during downtime and have and overhear them talking about things that you don't want to talk about. And I've had to learn and I've had to adapt and I've had to, to change how I do things at work because of instances like this. Yeah. Yeah. 
you've talked a lot recently on panels and I know you're active online as well Mm -hmm. and told stories and been asked questions and I hope I'm not catching you off guard with this one because I didn't prepare you with this question at all but are there any stories or anything that you'd like to share that hasn't been asked of you yet um does it have is this with like the workplace or is this just anything or specifically workplace mm, not and that's specifically fine. workplace I'm gonna say a- anything around this time and black lives matter and the experience of chronic black pain or or anything else that just came up when I said that that you just right. as a talking to heal person you just need to share right now okay well I will say because this just happened today at work actually so when going on we so I work in Gainesville Florida which is a college town because the University of Florida and we are a little dot of blue around a bunch of red counties Mm -hmm. We are a little bit more liberal in our thinking just because of who Gainesville attends to attract because of the university. So when we are in healthcare, a lot of smaller towns do not have as much job opportunity. And there's people who you may not normally have interacted with um, because I grew up in the city for the most part. So I'm not familiar with um, more rural areas in their way of uh, some of their ways of thinking Um, but they tend to work everywhere they'll come to the city and they'll have their thoughts and they'll have their views well there is um, this one instance where everyone's and checking in to come into work where because you have to sign up paperwork fill out a questionnaire about what you've been exposed to if you travel, they take your temperature, all of that. And someone who works high up in the business, granted, my therapy company that I work for, we're contracted in. I'm not hired or an employee of the facility that I work at. Mm. We're contracted in. So this is someone who does not have any direct supervision to me. Mm. Um, but she made a comment about, you know, if people like with black people keep complaining, you know, people are going to like, you know, tr- you know, the president's going to take away their food stamps and they're going to like, wh- what are they going to do when they take away the services that are basically keeping them alive? Oof. And I didn't hear this comment, but I am, I've ha- I've heard the same dialogue from multiple people. And one of the supervisors heard this comment and she's African-American and she went to the director and said that she is blatantly making racist comments at the workplace in front of black people and joking about it. Granted, this, the same person has commented on social media, um, but that's social media and that's not associated with your work. And so, you know, no one can say, no one can harm her for what she's saying on her own time. But when you're on work property, there's just some things that just, you know, you just have to keep to yourself. 
And so I was just informed today from my boss that the facility is going to send out an email and it's going to be talking about, they're going to, there's going to be a private investigation about the incident. And I don't know, I haven't gotten the email yet, but she basically warned me that to not get involved or talk about what's going on with other staff, because it needs to, it just needs to still remain professional at work and that the people who are going to be conducting the interrogation and figuring out what's going on, that's the only time when to, when to talk about it, but it won't be appropriate to talk about it any other time and to basically just, just to not talk about it. And, and cause she knows how it's been affecting me. And so she doesn't want to have to have me react a certain way um, or say something that's not professional. And so she just advised me to just, she warned me that it's coming out. And if anyone comes up to me to talk to me about it at work to just not comment on it. Are you allowed to and, say that here? <laughs> um, I, I didn't give any detail. I think I didn't, I like, I think that's okay. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> um, you know, but it's out there now. So, it's out there. Um, but basically what's going on is affecting people at work because people at work are just bringing in their own personal opinions when it's, when it's not the proper place to, especially not when there's a lot of people who you're specifically talking about is around you, you know? So it's, so for me to have to come to work, knowing that there's people who don't necessarily care too much about my life or about my husband's life or about my future children's lives and to make the type of comments that they've made. It's, it's, it's really testing and trying to try to separate that person from the other person. And I'm really learning that if this was, if I heard this person making comments in public, I would say something, but at work, you know, it's, you just all, you just simply can't. And it's just for the fact of not like you can't, you can report it, but then after that, just leave it at that. And hopefully, you know, the people do the right thing, which I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's being looked into, but you're going to be put in uncomfortable situations and you're going to have to, as much as I advocate for black lives and as much as I advocate for, um, equality in the workplace and equality period, there's just some times where I'm going to have to learn that I, that, that some things are just out of my control and I, I just have to let things run its course and hopefully things work out how it works out. But, um, but with that work though, it's, it's been really interesting to see and hear the comments that people are making and there's nothing really being too much done about it. And just having to know that, um, that's, that's just a sad reality. And it's hopefully, you know, they'll be reprimanded in a way that they understand that that type of 
talk will not be tolerated. Yeah. And hopefully it moves forward. But that was just something that literally just happened. Happened today. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear there's a private investigation. Yeah. On. Yeah. Yeah. It's just when you're a student and you're in the classroom, I only had two black people in my class and there's not too many black people who are therapists. Mm -hmm. And when you go out into the work field, you're going to realize that when you're practicing doing things on your classmates, it's much different than practicing it on someone who you're not normally used to seeing who's of maybe a different ethnic background than you, different religion than you, they dress differently, they talk differently, you may not be able to understand them because of their accent, and just having to realize, and and I don't, and this is another thing that I don't think school really prepares students for, because there's not much diversity in the classroom, at least not where I was at, and, um, and it's just something that students have to realize that you were in a safe, protected environment, and you were comfortable, and when you go out to work, it's not going to be this safe, protected environment. You're going to see people and interact with people, and your patients will be much more diverse than what you expected and what you're used to being or and who you're used to being around. And being able to understand that aspect of how different religions value certain things, like, you know, certain religions you can't you don't accept blood transfusions and they simply will, will, will get sick and maybe die because they simply won't take someone else's blood and you can't look at them differently for it. That's, that's their own personal belief. You know, like that's just something that that's important to them and, and that's it. And then someone who, you know, may keep referring to her husband to answer and talk like that's the third dynamic. And you may be like, I'm like, why is she speak up for herself? Like, and not say, excuse me, I'm referring to Miss Smith, not you. Like, that's just their dynamic. And you have to realize that no matter what you believe, regardless if it's a race thing or not, like, you can't treat them differently just because they have a different belief factor than you or was grown up differently than you. And, um, and that's something that I just don't think that people expect when they go and start working because it's just something that's not really spoke about too much. Yeah. It's, there are many ways that I think we can project onto other people. Right. And I think in terms of patients, something you'd said to me the other week was the patient is the expert. And I just yeah. loved that. So do you think you yep. could just comment on what you meant by that? And then we'll wrap it up. Yes. I don't want to take all yeah. your time. <laughs> Oh, I can literally talk for hours about this, but it's absolutely true. Like, even though people are coming to you as the expert who has all the answers to fix their pain, to fix their ailment, to, to be the person that's going to make them feel like them again, as you are the expert in that specific thing, you have to be able to understand that the only way you're going to get down to the nitty gritty and really help the patient is by understanding that they are the expert of themselves and you have to be able to have a good report with them and make them feel comfortable so that they feel like they can open up and tell you certain things because they don't want to be worried about you judging them for what they tell you. 
and being able to just simply understand that you may know all the origins insertions and nerve innovations <laughs> in the body. You may be able to pinpoint and manipulate someone, but if you don't understand the person you're treating and what motivates them and what will get them to actually listen and do what you are asking them to do, you have to realize that the patient is the expert of themselves and you have to be able to relate to them in a way that makes them feel safe and trust you with their body. And that's, and that's just as simple as that. Like we don't know, we don't know everything. We only know what we're literally taught in school or if you've been exposed to more in your life and you certainly don't know anyone else more than that person knows themselves. No way. Yeah. What a weird thought that is. Right? <laughs> no. Right. But how many times people tr- like claim to or try to Right. Yeah. like, no, I know, I know exactly what you're going through. Like, no, I haven't even told you what exactly makes it feel that way. Yeah. Oh, but I, I, I've seen this in the textbook before and I know I'm like, well, like, come on now. Uh, even when I hear about your headaches and I'm like, oh, I, you know, I had headaches every day for 10 years. It's like headaches are so many different things. Like where in your head, right. what brings it on? What makes it better? Exactly. In what ways do your emotion play? And like, there's so, exactly. everything is just so individualized and complex. And I think that really frustrates a lot of people, but I think that's what keeps me interested in life. <laughs> is yeah. Everybody's and individuality. Yeah. And, and everyone's constantly learning and everyone is different, even though we're all human. Yeah. Everyone has a different background, has different experiences, different words may trigger them. And yes, just being in, and, and, and even if you do say something and you can read the patient's reaction, it's important to backtrack and acknowledge the reaction and try to resolve that problem right away yes. versus not acknowledging their reaction because yes, Ugh. it's so important and to, to fix things in the moment than letting it fester. Um, if like, but going back to my, uh, CI example, like when we walked out of that room, I very well could have said, Hey, that patient back there was really uncomfortable. They were looking at me for help and they felt, you know, this type of way. Um, that would have been really important for her because that would have given her, there wouldn't have been any question. Like, well, I don't even remember what I said. Like, what do you mm-hmm. mean? It would have been good to give her direct feedback. Um, I I would have done it the same way as I did. I think telling her about it four days later was soon enough. I certainly wasn't going to let it go for the whole 12 weeks. But I think for a patient, when you, especially if you're going to see them multiple times a week, even, even if you don't, like if you want to even carry the conversation on, you have to acknowledge how they feel and no one's going to say anything perfect. But if you do realize that someone's behavior, body positioning has changed, you it's important to go back and say, I realize that you seem like you're talking less and you're, you kind of turned away from me. Is there anything that I said that may have been off-putting to you? Because it certainly wasn't my intention. And I want to resolve this because I don't want you to walk away from this conversation being uncomfortable. I literally want to write that no. down. <laughs> Well, you can re-listen to it, girlfriend. <laughs> it's so, you know? Yeah. But it's important because I know that for 
you know, my husband works at um, a place that is country renowned and people come from all over the country to go to this specific clinic and you only get to see them once every six months. You're sitting with them for an hour and you have to grab their attention right away Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to correct your mistake the next week or later on in the week, you know, has to happen. You have to, it has to happen no matter how uncomfortable it is for you, because think about if, if you are uncomfortable, think about how much more uncomfortable the other person is. Totally. You know, I can't even think of how many times I wish that a healthcare provider had noticed that they said something or things changed or I was uncomfortable. Like, especially in the world of like pelvic floor PT, which is just Mm -hmm. so sensitive in the first place. There's so many tiny little moments where it's like, right, come on, pick up on this. I'm too uncomfortable as a patient. You know, we're in this, we're in a power dynamic. So it's almost like you need to be invited to speak sometimes. Right. I, I'm glad that you, that you mentioned that because as a lymphedema therapist, Mm. I'm sometimes there's genital swelling or I'm certainly manipulating the inguinal lymph nodes, which is right there in the groin. And if they've also had a mastectomy, I'm seeing their new body, yeah. which is swollen. It has scars. Yeah. It's different. And they are having to trust me yeah. to look at their body and being able to just simply carry the conversation on asking them, what can I do that will make you feel comfortable? Like, do you need another sheet? Do you want the lights to be dimmed? Because you know one wants to be in a bright room yeah. doing something if you can help it, you yeah. know? And it's like whatever you can do to make sure that the patient knows. Because as often as you may do this, as often as you may work with someone's pelvic floor, as often as I may be working in someone's groin to activate the lymph nodes, that's probably their first time mm-hmm. experiencing this and realizing that just because we're desensitized to it, it's very, very fresh for some people and, and asking them and making sure that you explain to them, this is what I'm going to do um, and explain to them why you're doing it, what they may feel. And if you've never experienced what it feels like, you, sh- you should be able to look at videos or maybe ask your patients, what did it feel like when I went over here? So that way you can kind of prime them to what it's going to be like and to make them understand and know that you are taking their feelings and privacy into consideration as it should be, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, pelvic floor is very personal and um, being a therapist is personal, but certainly when you're, when you're being much going to much more intimate places with patients and it's very important to make sure that you um, are very, very open and normal conversation and you, your eyes are going to the appropriate places yeah. and you're just change the conversation is flowing and you talk about neutral stuff or you talk about something that you think will make them happy and distract them yeah. and you have to pick up on those cues. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, and you hold their, like their vulnerability with all your heart. Like, yeah, I remember I was shadowing a pelvic floor PT once and he was a male and there was a woman in the room and she was having pelvic floor PT done for the first time. And it was kind of explained to her. And then he left the room and she looked at me and she was like, you've had that done too. And it was like this moment of just like 
Oh man, right. you were just so uncomfortable and didn't feel invited enough right. to like say no right. or, or whatever, you know, in the male female dynamics, very interesting in public right. health, but, um, right. Just putting, putting the comfort of the patient, like patient is the expert comfort of the patient comes first, yeah. like above right. everything, which is why, Absolutely. yeah. And just to like wrap it right back around to chronic black pain, that's also just like, why it's so important to to see all of somebody and to ask hard questions yeah. and to understand like not to right. make judgments about somebody but to be like oh you know like my whole life I was told not to see color now I'm being asked to and I understand that this time is really tough and you are a right. black woman who's coming in for pelvic floor therapy like is there anything you want to talk about before we start right like, how are you, how are you doing lately? Mm-hmm. And just list kind of holding Perfect. experience. Yeah. And, and you can even, while you're even working on them, like if you, like, if, if you feel like that, you can even speak about that with them and, and they seem open to it. Like being able to just talk about something like that and acknowledge their feelings is going to relax them and it's going to really make them feel like, yes, let's just get the elephant out of the room. And I promise you, like your patients will be much more receptive and open and comfortable knowing that even though you're not of the same ethnic background, you are not, you're not, not going to acknowledge about what's going on and just understand like, okay, I'm here to see you for this, but also my body's feeling like this because of all the crap that's going on right now. Because I know for me, like, I like my body if like I have muscle aches right now when I work out like horrible muscle Mm -hmm. aches it's happened before I can't figure out why but I know that if I were to go talk to someone about this I'm also going to mention that I've been stressed out about what's going on in the black community Mm -hmm. and seeing if maybe if my muscle soreness and tension or um, is coming from anything related. Like you have to be able to talk about what's going on in your life because as a therapist, we don't just treat this. We don't treat just the specific area that is the problem. We treat the whole body and there may be preferred pain, referred tension mm-hmm. that we have to address. And you can't ask the person, how are you doing as a whole? Not just like, well, how is your knee doing? Yeah. Like, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Because it's all connected. When you're more stressed out in your life, pain's going to be more noticeable. You're going to notice a lot more things and you're, you're, you're just going to be much more sensitive to things. And it's important to acknowledge the person's whole being when addressing just a specific part of their body, because it's all, the body is all connected and related. (sighs) All connected and related. All connected. Oh, I could talk to you forever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, same to you. Same to you. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing, Zari. I really, really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thank you for using your platform to even discuss this. It's um it's really nice of to be on uh on something that is not even close to my hometown across (laughs) the country. And being able to just openly have normal conversations and just talk about what's going on. And that's all we can do. Well, there you have it. A conversation with Zari Cooper. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that would also be amazing because it helps other people find the podcast as well. If you'd like to be on the podcast or know somebody who has an amazing, fascinating, or crazy story to tell about pain and their healing process, have them reach out to me at Here Now Body on Instagram. Until next time.